morning we're going to continue looking for Romans chapter 12. And this whole section in the chapter in the book of Romans where it talks about the marks of a true Christian. And as we, we introduced the topic last week, we said, is it apples that make it an apple tree? Or is it an apple tree because it makes apples? And the whole point is that we are not Christians because of the works that we do. We do the works we do because we're a Christian. They should come from within us. They shouldn't necessarily be things that we need to strive really hard to do when that's not who we are on the inside. It should become who we are on the inside so these works come out of who we are as a follower of Christ. And last time we looked at that question, are you for real? And we looked at being a genuine Christian and having a genuine love for us come out to other people. And in many ways, the things that we looked at last week had to do with a genuine love to people that we generally get along with. You know, in general, you could say many times the way that that works out in our life or the, all the points we looked at last week is with the other believers who are around us, the people that are, you know, in, involved in our life in that way. This week, we're going to look at another group of people. And I've titled this morning, How to Fight Your Enemy. How to Fight Your Enemy. You can't even see the word enemy. Sorry about that. It's there at the end. Red's not a very good color for when it's so uh, light in here. How to Fight Your Enemy. When did men first become enemies? of one another. When did that happen in the Bible? You go all the way back to the beginning, you find it with the first siblings that ever existed, with Cain and Abel. And in that account, it says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, that Cain spoke to his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, the King James word for killed is slew. And it literally means, by definition, when you look it up in the Strongs in the original, to smite with deadly intent. This was no accident. This was deadly intent that one brother was an enemy to his brother or of his brother. Hmm. All the way back from the beginning, people had problems with other people. What is the definition of an enemy. How would you define your enemy? I think we need to make that very clear when we start out at looking at this topic. Who is my enemy? By the Strong's definition, it is somebody, it says to hate or to be actively hostile. To hate, which is a very severe word, or to be actively hostile. Somebody who's actively hostile towards you. Now, hate, I wanted to look at what that means because it's a severe word, but you might be able to define that a number of different ways. So I wanted to put a specific meaning to it. And in the original, it means to detest, especially to persecute. So your enemy is somebody who detests you. Your enemy is somebody who persecutes you and is actively hostile towards you. Lovely topic. Jesus gave a very broad definition when somebody asked him, who is my neighbor? 
And he went through a parable, and he, by the story, by the parable, gave a very broad definition. Who is my neighbor? It's pretty much everybody whose life that I touch. But by definition, who is my enemy is a very narrow category. It is not a broad category. We do not have a lot of people who would fit in this definition of people who hate us and who are actively hostile directly towards us. By definition, an enemy is not somebody who doesn't agree with us. That doesn't make somebody an enemy. It is not somebody who doesn't believe exactly the same as we do, whether that be religiously, spiritually, politically, parenting, health, you name the category of all the hot topics. Somebody who doesn't agree with us doesn't make that person an enemy by definition. They are not. They have to be actively hostile and hateful of us. An enemy also should never be a fellow believer in Christ. We should have one goal and one purpose, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. We should never ourselves detest, persecute, or actively be hostile towards somebody else who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And they should never be of us. That should make you be at comfort. <clears throat> Nobody sitting in here in this church should be your enemy. The things we're talking about this morning is not going to be how to fight people in your congregation, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It will be how to fight the other enemies in our life. Matthew Henry said this. I've been referencing him a lot lately. Very, very good uh, insights, many times anyways, into things that the Bible says. He said about this topic, in this instruction, it quite differs from all other rules and methods, which generally aim at victory and dominion, but this at inward peace and satisfaction. Whoever are our enemies that wish us ill and seek to do us ill, our rule is to do them no hurt, but all the good that we can. We're going to look at that from Romans chapter 12 this morning. It's a catch title. How to fight your enemy isn't a physical battle. Neither is it often spiritual in the sense that we're trying to defeat a human foe. The Bible tells us to bless our enemies, to do good to them. We'll see that as we go through these passages. These are not natural responses for us. The first one we're going to look at is in Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. And I've titled these in somewhat military terms as I could. This first one is, Take the Higher Ground. Romans 12 verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay nobody evil for evil. The thought of taking the higher ground in warfare is to take advantage of somebody else. When you have the higher ground, you have the advantage, right? You can be more easily the victor because your enemy has to come up to where you are and you can easily fight them off if you have the higher ground. But the higher ground that God tells us in dealing with our enemies is to repay nobody evil for evil. They pay you with something wrong. Remember, an enemy is somebody who is hateful, who is directly opposed to you in very strong ways. And it says when they are paying you in evil, 
you pay them in good, not evil. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. In other words, it's saying no matter what anybody does, whether they do good or bad for you, you always do what is honorable yourself. I came up with a couple examples for this that may be familiar because it's God and Jesus. God said, or Jesus said of his father in Matthew 5, verse 45, that God makes the sun to shine and his rain to fall on both the good and the evil people. That's Stephen's paraphrase. God makes his sun to shine and his rain to fall. He blesses the good and the evil. So when the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 17, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, that is what God does. He does what is right in the sight of all, whether they are good or evil. And Jesus, the other example, in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, part of the Romans road, but it says Jesus died for us while we were sinners and while we were his enemies. It says that in verse 10 specifically, it uses the word enemy. We were not his friends when he died for us. We stood against him. We walked as sinners. And yet he didn't repay our evil with evil. As he so could have done, easily have done, could have sent us to damnation, damnation, but he repaid us good despite our sin and our evil. So the first instruction of how we are to fight our enemy in Romans 12 is we're to take the higher ground. We're to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The next verse, Romans 12, 18, we're to fight to keep peace. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Fight to keep peace. This takes great inner strength. This often takes great inner struggle to not fight back, right? How many of you would agree with me on that? How many of you have more of that opposing characteristic character? When somebody comes at you, you want to fight back at them, okay? That's our human response. That's natural. But the Bible says as much as remains or was in you, as much as depends on your part, you can't affect their decision, how they treat you, how they respond to you, the words they say, the words they say to you about or to other people about you. You may not have an impact on that. But as much as lies within you, fight to keep peace, even with your enemy, friend, or foe. And you will not always be able to be at peace with everyone. It's guaranteed you will not be able to be at peace with everybody. But don't be the one creating and maintaining the conflict. That's what it says. Be at peace as best as you can, as much as lies within you. Don't be the one creating the conflict. So as followers of Christ, we should keep peace with the peaceful and with the aggravating, both, with the hateful as well. The next verse gives us another command, and it is, take revenge, never. Take revenge, never. Romans 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
Never avenge yourselves. Leave that in the hands of God. Matthew Henry said, When anybody has done you any ill turn, do not desire nor endeavor to bring the like mischief or inconvenience upon him. See, revenge flows from anger. Is anger one of the fruits of the spirits? Is it a characteristic of God in that sense? No, it is not to be like God. Taking revenge is not to be like him. It is to be anti who he is. So even though we might feel like we're justified in our vengeance, God says, actually, that's my area. Let me handle that. You're better off to turn to me and to leave that alone because it is not a fruit of the, char- of fruit of the spirit. It is not part of the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. We're going to read a few verses, verses 38 through 42. Because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave um, a parallel. Actually, he wrote that before Paul wrote Romans. Um, but there are parallel thoughts here for how we are to treat others who may be against us. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, slap him back twice. (laughs) No, turn him the other also. So if somebody's physically coming against you, it says, don't take the, the fighting position. That is hard to mentally get over, maybe as a man, I'm not sure. But it says, don't resist the one who is evil. Jesus, Jesus commands exactly. If anyone slaps you, literally physically hits you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, take him to court to see what you can get out of him. No, it says let him have your cloak as well. Go the extra mile. Give him more than he wants to take from you. Give him further than he desires to steal from you. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. It's not a request. It's somebody who has the the capability of commanding you to do something. They're commanding you to do something that you don't want to do. I'm gathering when it says to go a mile. It's not like, sure, let's go for a walk. I'm gathering that's like this person's forcing me to do something that I do not want to do. But they have, obviously, in this passage, the capability to do that. It says, go twice. Be willing to serve. Matthew 5, 42, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. None of those words of Jesus has any sort of a revenge or a vengeance. Because again, in Romans 12, God said, that's my job. Leave that with me. Your attitude and how you handle it is more important. It's more important to have the fruits of the spirit than to get the upper hand over an enemy. So God is the one to administer justice and leave that wrath for God. What happens if you take the law into your own hands, physically, like here? What happens if you take the law into your own hands and say that you, somebody's doing something that you don't like or they come against you and you, uh, you do something back to them? You hit them, you hurt them, you shoot them, you do something to them. What happens? You get judged by the law, right? 
So somebody who is doing something to you, breaking the law, you do something back to them, you're gonna come under the same law. Now you may be declared innocent because maybe the law declares you innocent, but you will still come under the law. And it's the same with God. When we take vengeance into our own hands against somebody else, we ourselves come under God's same law. God says it's better to leave that in my hands than to take that into your own hands. It's better to leave that with me. It will be better for you than to get aggravated and to want to fight back, to retaliate. These are odd teachings on a human level, aren't they? Christianity is the only religion that I know that teaches this way, that teaches that when we are attacked and opposed, that we go to God instead, that we give it into his hands. The next command that we're given, the directive, the next way that we fight our enemy is in Romans 12, verse 20, when our enemy is finally in a bad spot, they're finally down, help them. Romans 12, 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So we're to not only take, to not take revenge on our enemies, but we're to seek even to do them good above and beyond. If somebody is hungry, are they in a good spot? No, because if they had food to eat, they wouldn't be hungry. So in this case, the enemy does not have food available. They're in a bad place. They don't have water available. They're thirsty. They're in a bad place. And it says when your enemy gets in that spot, your job is not to rejoice in the upper hands, but it is to help them. Jesus, in the parallel passage over in Matthew chapter 5, and in verses 43 and 44, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm not sure where that law was, but it was being passed around among the Jews at that time anyways. But Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, this is the higher command, love your enemy. Bless them, do good to them, pray for them. How do we bless our enemy? Well, Romans 12, earlier in the passage, in Romans 12, verse 14 it had a similar thought. It said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It's easy to focus on how right we are and how wrong they are. When we have an enemy, right? It's easy for us to do that. I am right. I know I am right. They are wrong. I know they are wrong. And that becomes our focus. And we can find others who agree with us in how right we are and how wrong they are, and we can talk to them about our enemy. But that's not how God says we bless our enemy. He says, bless them and do not curse them. And curse means to doom. If you look it up by definition in the Strongs, it means to doom. So don't spend, we're not to spend our time speaking of wishing for, praying for, and waiting for the doom of our enemy. 
That is not our focus as Christians. Our focus is not really on our enemy at all on a human level. It is on our Heavenly Father and our God. And we're to seek then to bless our enemies and to do them good. If there's anything in our enemy that is commendable or praiseworthy, we can speak well of it. That is a general command to Christians, is to speak of what is good and praiseworthy. And we're to do that with our enemies as well. And if we can't find anything to say, well, as my mom used to say, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> or your mind, too, shut. If you can't think of anything good about somebody else, your enemy. Also, we should speak respectfully to them. As believers, we are to everybody to speak respectfully. In a culture where disrespectful and rude talking is the norm, be weird. And that's okay, because as believers in Christ, we are to be respectful of the people who are around us, friend or foe. We're to desire their good, their well-being. We're to pray for them. Jesus gave us the perfect example in this. He was hanging on a cross, put there by people that we would certainly say are his enemies, right? And Jesus, while he's hanging there, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's not calling for vengeance. He's not calling for the fire and the justice and the wrath of God. He's asking God to forgive his enemy, the ones who have opposed him to the bitter death at the end and seems like they won. Who is our true enemy? Yeah, whoever said that, you're totally right. That's great. I love it. Satan is our true enemy. He is behind any oppression and any persecution. And I think it's totally okay to pray against Satan and the schemes of Satan. But we need to maintain a heart of love for the people that he may sometimes work through because they are still people. They are still lost. They are human. And that's the heart that God asks us to maintain as believers, not to be hateful of people because they are also created in the image of God just like us, just like followers of Jesus. And maybe one day they will give their heart to the Lord. Sometimes that seems impossible, depending on the person. But we never know, do we? And God is the final judge of all that. So we are to maintain a heart and even to pray for our enemy. And just like Jesus, pray for those who persecute us. Romans 12, verse 20, we also bless our enemy, in that passage that we read earlier in Romans chapter 12 and verse 20, it says, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. These are very physical ways of helping somebody, not just praying for them and blessing them in word, but physically indeed even be willing to help an opponent, to help somebody who is hateful toward you. This passage is quoted from Proverbs chapter 25. You'll find the exact phrasing and wording there in Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. There was a man who lived in the late 1400s and early 1500s whose name was Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. And it was said of him that the way to make him your friend, and this is in Old English, but it was to do him an ill turn. If you wanted this archbishop to be your friend, you had to become, or you, if, you, if you were his enemy, he would be your friend, in other words. And he's given as an, an example of a follower of Jesus who reached out to ones 
who opposed him. If you want to make him your friend, do something against him. Hopefully people didn't take advantage of that. What should we do if our enemy is hungry? Help him. Help her. Help them. What is the common response for us to do? When we see our enemy in a, a somebody who opposes us, maybe somebody who has opposed Christians, somebody who opposes and is against and, and is hateful, what is our common response as believers when they get into a bad spot? Avoid them, yeah. It's easy, and I find myself doing this, to assume that this is God's hand of judgment on them, right? God is dealing with them, finally. And we have that upper hand mentality, right? They're the foe, they're being defeated, yes. But our response, when they're in that place, should actually have a heart that reaches out to them as a human being, as a person, as somebody made in the image of God. It's, it's, it's a different perspective, but the Bible tells us this is how we deal with our enemies. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. This is talking about an enemy. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Don't rejoice when they stumble. And it actually says in the next verse, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, is the first part. The second part is, and turn his anger away from him. So we can make the whole focus like, oh, I'm not going to rejoice because I want God to still judge them. But that, it's not telling us that that is our response. The thing we need to be aware of in that is unless God sees it and be displeased with us. So God is not pleased when we rejoice at an enemy. He's displeased when we rejoice at the fall of somebody else, friend or foe. Now, God's part is he can decide to turn his anger away or he can decide to judge. That is God's part. That is God's decision. And we need to leave that in God's hands. The result is up to him. But for us, we need to understand that God is displeased if we rejoice, if we say, ha, ah, finally, God's dealing with them. God's taken them out. That's not our Christian response to an opponent. Remember, this is how to fight your enemy. We fight them with love. We fight them with blessing them. We fight them by showing Christ to them. Now that verse in Romans 12 ends by saying, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Ha ha! Yes! If I am finally able to get over myself and bless my enemy, I will have the upper hand and I will heap coals of fire on them and they will be burned. Hmm. I'm not sure that's exactly what that means. But there are a couple things that I thought of that it could mean. And the first is that person may actually be melted into a place of repentance by you showing them love when they don't deserve it. And they know they don't deserve it. When they're your enemy and they're your opponent, they're going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you helping me? Why are you being nice to me? They may not say those words out loud, but it's going to be going on up here. <laughs> they're going to be thinking you're weird because that's not how they are. But it may actually get to their conscience. 
It may get to their heart. The NLT actually says burning coals of shame. You know, it might actually cause shame to somebody when you are doing them good and they are doing you wrong. And isn't that the goal of us as believers? It's not to defeat other humans, but it's to see them turn to Christ. That is our goal. And so if we can pour out love to somebody who opposes us and it turns them to the Lord, we have fought our enemy perfectly. We have won them to our Lord Jesus Christ by our love that God showed through us. The second meaning is it might aggravate that person's conscience and make their actions against you more inexcusable. It might make to everybody else looking at it going, wow, what they're doing is awful. And you're not even treating them wrong. You're treating them well. So you may not win that enemy over to Christ. You may win somebody else who knows of the situation. And if nothing else, you're doing the right thing by being like Christ and producing the fruit that should come from being a follower of Christ. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Romans 12 ends here, probably not the end of our study because we skipped over a bunch of other thoughts and verses that I'll probably come back to, but the thought here of, of how to fight our enemy ends in Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Matthew Henry said, he that cannot quietly bear an injury is perfectly conquered by it. He that cannot quietly bear an injury is perfectly conquered by it. Those who revenge are the conquered, and those who forgive are the conquerors. So in the context of this passage, evil is the actions of another. Do not be overcome by the evil actions of somebody else who is opposing you and who is hating you. Don't let that let them have the upper hand on you. When someone comes against you, don't be drawn into revenge, but overcome their evil with the good of Christ shining through you. You don't destroy evil with vengeance and anger. You destroy it with love and good. And I want to end the sermon this morning on a story that Sarah was sharing with me. She just finished reading The Hiding Place. Some of you probably have read that of Corey Ten Boom. And Corey tells in that of her sister Betsy as well as her father uh, in that story as well. And they were Dutch and they hid and helped the Jews during World War II. And the, the Germans eventually found out they were arrested. They were placed in a German concentration camp. And both of these ladies, specifically Corey and Betsy, endured severe treatment and trauma. It was not a pleasant time for them. They went through hell on earth in that German concentration camp. But what Sarah gathered, the whole synopsis of the, the book, was that both remained kind to the prison guards and to their fellow prisoners, and especially Betsy, not the one who wrote the book, but the sister who died in the concentration camp, had compassion on the ones who were suffering in the camp, yes, but also on the ones who were causing the suffering, on the enemy. 
And at one point in the story that, that Corey told, their father, who was still alive at that point, he was taken into the, in as well, but he, I think he died soon afterwards. But their father said, you know, he was looking at Germans mistreating Jews and being very mean to them, and the father said, I feel so sorry for them. And Corey's thinking, like, for the Jews who are suffering, and the father said, you know, he felt sorry for the Germans because they were touching the apple of God's eye and they didn't know what they were doing. He had this compassion for the enemy that was killing them, that was hurting them. That was his heart, was, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. That same thing that Jesus said, forgive them, Lord. They are the clueless. They're touching the apple of your eye. They're a tremendous example of somebody with a very strong physical enemy, somebody who was hateful, somebody who wanted nothing more than to see them dead and gone. And yet they showed the love of Christ and were, did not become hateful themselves, did not become revengeful. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirits than he who captures a city. And that's what God calls us to be as believers, to be slow to anger and to rule our spirits when we are opposed, that we don't immediately get ourselves up into a fighting mode to fight back. But God says we are to control our own spirit. We never hope to have an enemy, right? We never hope to have an enemy like, like the Ten Booms did, somebody who is physically against us and would love nothing more than to see us dead. And I say most of us, probably none of us here have an enemy like that today. But the Bible gave us clear instruction in his word, in the, in the Bible, in the word of what to do anytime we do have an enemy. And there's a reason that it is there. No matter what level that opponent is on, that's somebody who might be hateful against us, God gives us clear instruction. And so my question to end for us today is, are you overcoming evil with good? Are you overcoming evil with the desire for revenge? And you ask yourself that question on whatever level you're at, whoever you may see as your enemy. It could be, a, well, I'll leave that with you. Whatever you determine, the Lord lays on your heart as maybe somebody who is opposing you or an entity or a government, or whatever it might be. Are you overcoming evil with good? As the Bible tells us too. And then we're going to close in prayer and say, ask the Lord for practical ways of how to do this. How do we reach out and bless our enemy with good when they're opposing us? And we'll ask God that this would be the very fruit that comes out of us. That this isn't something we need to strive to attain to, but that we as we said last week, are so connected to the vine, so connected to Jesus Christ, that the way that he responded to his enemies here on earth becomes the natural way that we respond. That heart of compassion, like we talked about with Betsy Ten Boom for the enemy, just comes out of us because they're lost souls, because they don't have Christ, because they're in need, that these are our natural responses. So ask yourself that question. Am I overcoming evil with good? And then why don't we pray and ask the Lord to help us to know how to do that. Lord, help us to be like you. 
You shine your goodness on the evil and the good. And I pray that you would help us to be those who shine your light and your love on both the evil and on the good. Help us to know how to respond to somebody who may be opposing us or being hateful to us. Even if that's not now, even if that's in the future, help us to know ways to bless them, to show them your love. And Lord, help that to become who we are as believers, as followers of you, that it just comes out of us, Lord, this showing your love here on earth to others. Lord, may it be who we are. Not even something that we have to strive to do or to attain to, Lord, but just who we are as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these words that you gave us, these instructions you gave us of how to fight our enemy. And thank you for the example you gave us here on earth of how you did that so well and how you reached out to so many. Help us to be like you. We pray this in your name. Amen.